Hey guys, it's me, Chris Denson from Innovation Crush. Yeah. Guess what? Uh, coming up, October 29th is the world's first live streamed stand up comedy festival called Comedy Binge. October 29th, starting at 1 o'clock p.m., you can go to comedybinge.co slash stream. You'll see 50 amazing up and coming comedians doing their best material. You have performers from all over the country. You can watch on your smartphone, your computer, your tablet, whatever you have in your pocket or in your home. You can watch it on. And guess what? If you're a listener of this show, you can get 20% off the tickets by just going to comedybinge.co slash stream and using the promo code CRUSH, C-R-U-S-H. And guess what? You got a headliner, Rob Hayes, who's been on Comedy Central, Fox, NBC. He has his own podcast called The Book of Yay. And I think you will have an amazing time. So yes, please go to comedybinge.co slash stream, use the promo code CRUSH and get your laugh on. Welcome, everybody, to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, your gracious host. Um, in case you're tuning in for the first time, eh, it's kind of lame by now. We're like 145 episodes in. So um, this show covers all things marketing, ideas, innovation, creativity, smart people doing smart things. And uh, today, the buck does not stop. Dr. Victor Pineda. Say hello, Dr. Victor Pineda. Hi, everybody. That's a wow! You say it, it's not a kid show. Just, just so you know, it's a it's adults. You don't have to be so so enthusiastic. I'm excited to see you and hear you and talk about innovation. There's a lot going on, and I'm just excited to be here with you. Yeah, I thank you, and I, I don't even know where to start with you because you know you are definitely the uh, consummate multi hyphenate, but uh, and an, and an overachiever, and I'm 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 always jealous of, of things you get to do. But um, I guess for starters, and you're younger than me, according to uh, a Wikipedia, which is now I'm like really really feeling bad. But um, I guess for starters, give us a little bit of like the 90 second version of who Victor Pineda is, and and we'll go from there. Oh well, I was born in Venezuela, and um, I stopped walking when I was five years old. That really shaped my life in a lot of ways. The fact that I couldn't walk uh, really impacted sort of my choices uh, as a kid. But that really informs a lot of the work that I do in thinking about innovation. You know, how do we tackle, you know, uh, and address issues that shape our world? How do we make the world more responsive to our needs? And so as a person with a disability, I've thought a lot about really how we can ensure that we remove unnecessary barriers and how we can open up opportunities for people to live more productive lives. I've done that through um, the global consulting, speaking, working with governments, and passing a United Nations human rights treaty with other colleagues that now ensures the rights of people with disabilities. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a mouthful. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, uh, I think about uh, the lens of innovation, especially with your work, you know, there's this theme that comes up that the best innovation comes from constraint. 
Right. And, you know, when you're dealing with persons with disabilities, not only do you have like the physical constraint of creating experiences and, and messaging and things like that, but you also have, you know, you have to create consensus. And I was lucky enough to have worked with you on a project in Nairobi. And that was one of the biggest eye opening things for me it was like, we have to consider so many different perspectives, you know, of experience, technological accessibility, you know, severity of disability. Um, how have you gone about approaching the idea of consensus and, you know, making sure that all these boxes are checked when you enter a room to, to work on a project? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, I think that it's not really about checking boxes. It's really about understanding. And if we can get to the point where we understand that there are people that move around differently or or experience their surroundings in different ways, whether they have difficulty seeing, hearing, you know, remembering, there is just a lot of potential to... Uh, open up opportunities through technology that didn't exist before. So whereas 30 years ago, somebody that uh, was had low vision or was blind would really be dependent on somebody to read every word in a book out loud. They can turn on Siri or they can turn on their Kindle or they can, you know, go on to their Apple TV now and they can access content that is either read out loud or they can go on Netflix and watch, you know, Daredevil with uh, what's called audio description. So every image is described, every scene is described so that people have an equal opportunity to experience and to benefit from, you know, the products and services um, that are created. But a lot of this stuff is also linked to innovations and policy. And so ensuring that policy um, is developed and laws are developed to put people on an equal playing field, um, that's really where you create you know, some guidelines that allow people to behave. What I mean by behave is that uh, people don't think about the fact that if you're having a big event, you might have a, a group of participants that are deaf. So you might want to have a sign language interpreter so that they could benefit from and contribute to that event. Or if you're having, you know, some type of a product launch or some kind of a um, uh, activity with a product, you want to be able to have that product tested by people that are elderly or people that are young or people that have difficulty with manual dexterity. All of that's going to basically open up your market can open up the kinds of people that you can engage with and serve. And it's not only engaging with, you know, the 52 million people with disabilities in the United States, but it's engaging with their families. Um, and it's engaging with their friends and other folks that can benefit and contribute to and enjoy um, whatever you are developing on an equal basis with others. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to, because it's, it's, it's a lot. And I think when, you know, an entrepreneur or even a well-established company creates an experience, I think, you know, Disney, for instance, is a, is a great example, right? In terms of inclusion and how they think, they really think deeply about the experience you will have when you go to a Disney theme park. And I, I compare that to sort of this, you know, entrepreneurial innovation boom of things that are happening. And there is this mix of, you know, technology first or policy first? You know, have you seen, you know, which side tilts the scales a little bit more? Is it, you know, it's like, oh, this, this, let's launch this thing and then like, then let's figure it out. Or is it like, there's a need, let's fill that with the technology or, or maybe it's one and the same. I think that the idea is that we have a whole new landscape with huge disruptive changes that have occurred in technology, in medicine, in public policy. And this convergence is really a convergence of innovative thinking that expands opportunities. So it, it comes down to the fact that disability is not just, it's not simply, should I say, something that is a deficiency or some kind of a medical abnormality, but rather it's, it's a failure uh, of the environment. It's a failure uh, of the products and services is a failure of public policies to consider the diversity of the kinds of people that that there are. And if you look at 20% of any given population, 15 to 20% of any given population experiences some form of disability uh, in some way, um, that is a lot of people. And it doesn't have to be people that, you know, look like me that are, you know, sitting in an electric wheelchair using a ventilator and a breathing machine, you know, but it can be somebody that has a learning disability in a classroom. It can be somebody that has, you know, a mild form of autism. It's sort of is creative, like Steve Jobs. You know, it can be somebody that has, uh, you know, some difficulty later on in life, you know, they've invented a bunch of stuff friend of mine, Gordon Fuller, uh, was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company and a venture capitalist and later in life developed uh, macular degeneration. So he's losing his vision. And, uh, and he's embraced that transition and that process as for, to a great extent because he sees the promise and opportunities that exist to really... Uh, transform that experience and elevate the conversation about what is the kind of word that world that we're building. So even though he's, you know, losing his vision, he actually has incredible amount of vision. He's a visionary person because he sees the way that society is evolving and developing and he's dedicated to maturing that technology um, and uh and innovation really expands opportunities to close to one billion people worldwide. So a billion people in the world live with a disability, according to the World Health Organization. Wow. Okay. World Bank. Well, I think about, you know, it's it's interesting because I think if, you, if, if you're making anything, if you're making an experience, if you're making a product, um, there's a level of design thinking that goes into it. I know you've, you've taught on a university level. You've been a filmmaker telling these stories and just telling beautiful, you know, visual stories. Um, 
What have you personally learned about design thinking? Just as just as a as a broad principle. Like what are some of the tenets that you 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 feel like are most important to to think about? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, design thinking really is an iterative process. So we're really we're really talking about, you know, quickly assessing what the problem is and sketching things out, trying things out. You know, there's a lot of tinkering that goes uh, into it. But I think what it's ultimately about is basically synthesizing diverse ways of thinking and bringing together kind of unique perspectives. So I think I, I always say this when I speak to CEOs and to other, other folks in industry is that people with disabilities are the most natural innovators because they face problems on a daily basis that they have to solve. Necessity is the mother of invention. And so if you think about solutions-based thinking, if you think about working together with different people, if you think about the fact that you've got you know, a whole set of new factors to consider when you're trying to just cross the street or you know, get to you know, develop a PowerPoint presentation and you're blind or whatever you are, I mean, there's ways of finding workarounds to any limitation. And so design thinking really is is about getting to those aha moments. And I think that people with disabilities really are are are, are freaking good at wicked problems. Well, also, they, they're good at solving problems. It's kind of it's kind of meta too, right? I think if uh, because yes, there's an innate need for innovation just personally on a day to day basis, but then also you know I know a lot of your work is stemming from the fact that the Disabilities Rights Act was only passed you know relatively recently. I think it was the '80s, if I'm not mistaken. You know, um, so it didn't even you know it wasn't even around when you were born. So you not only you have the, the you know this natural inclination for innovation, but you've also got now you've got the the policy support on top of it. What sort of like boom have you seen, or have you seen ones based on where we were 30 years ago to to now? Well, there's a lot of booms. I think uh, the the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed in 1990. And so we just celebrated, you know, the 26th anniversary of this law. But it's one of the most ambitious and comprehensive um, laws, um, civil rights laws in this country. And what that does is that uh, creates kind of a platform to say that, you know, the way we design buildings, the way that we we think about technology, the way that we engage with people um, needs to sort of we need to sort of level the playing field and what you're saying about you know what's really changed a lot has changed I mean the, the entire face of the country has changed and you know, the way we buy buses the way we buy infrastructure the way that we we develop uh, human resource trainings the way we we have uh, you know the way that even you know Google and Microsoft, and these other big companies, they, they're going to recruit, you know, at universities for students with disabilities uh, because there's hundreds and hundreds of qualified workers that are joining the labor force um, that have been able to benefit from an inclusive education. 
and it brings so much wealth and knowledge and experience that uh, is now being used by the biggest companies in the world to really create innovative products. And and you see that, you know, you you go to Google, you go to Apple, you go you go to Microsoft and you see that, that there are people with disabilities forming part of all these teams and generating really, really innovative ideas. You know, one of the things that we're working on right now is really looking down down the road and we're looking at how cities and municipalities are investing hundreds of millions of dollars um, in deploying smart city infrastructure. So smart cities are deploying networks and cloud computing, artificial intelligence, and open data, the convergence of those things, in order to ensure that citizens and cities can offer better services and improve the quality of life, improve engagement of citizens to their city governments. But there hasn't really been too much discussion as to how those user interfaces or those apps, those websites, or even the data that they're collecting and generating you know, is useful for people that you know might have difficulty seeing, hearing, remembering, moving around, people that might have difficulty understanding things. How can how can you know neural networks and artificial intelligence take a complex form and sort of give it back to you in plain language? Right. So in case in case you your you know your kid has Down syndrome and is smart and is going to school and doing all their stuff, but needs to fill out a rental agreement, you know, the artificial intelligence could sort of re-describe to you what this complex form says in simple language. So I think that there's a lot coming down the pipeline with the convergence of smart cities and making the making these smart cities smart and accessible cities. And so we're working with Microsoft on a global project and I can talk more about that later. Oh, well, all right. This, you got the new, you got the new stuff. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I love the the fact that I, I feel like technology is in a lot of ways open up floodgates. And I think about this, like, for instance, I love my Amazon Alexa, right? And you start to think about this idea. I, I love her too. <laughs> yes. I, I almost made love to her, which was yeah. weird. Yeah, um, well, my wife thinks that I do. <laughs> oh, you, you get three threesome with okay, yeah. weird. Don't don't make it weird, Victor. Uh, <laughs> no, but like there's a simplicity. Uh, like I think what you're talking about is a, a, a deep, a deeper simplification of interactions with the you know Internet of Things, if you will. Um, and voice is one of those areas where you know I think about like. Yes, it's cool for Amazon Alexa, and yeah, it works on Siri, but when you have organizations like uh, Aloft Hotels, where they just introduced a voice-operated suite, and I think, you know, an able-bodied person, you go, "Ah, I hate fumbling around in the dark to try to find a light switch, or I want to turn the air on or off, or, you know, I want to set an alarm, and I don't know how to use this alarm clock. There's all these different things that just in that moment of staying in a hotel room that you've just simplified my life to, to an nth degree. And I think, you know, uh, by thinking broadly about inclusion, you're actually making everyone's life simpler, you know, by getting down to the lowest common denominator. Um, am I, am I talking crazy or is that, is that kind of what you're also that, saying? That's a fundamental principle of universal design, build it in, make it accessible and available for everybody without complicated instructions. Okay. So think about this built it in, don't bolt it on. 
don't try to create some kind of added device to make things easier for people. Just make it easier for the beginning for everybody. Um, so switching gears for a quick second, um, uh, you are also a extremely talented filmmaker. Um, can you talk about how like filmmaking happened for you? Um, then that would be interesting. Sure, sure. You know, I had realized that I had, you know, I was the character in my life story as kind of the the protagonist making my way through the world. Uh, I had to encounter all kinds of different barriers. You know, I was denied a chance to go to school as a kid because I couldn't walk. You know, later on, I was bullied by kids in high school because they jumped on my wheelchair. They thought that it was kind of like a rodeo or like a some kind of electric bull or something that they could ride. You know, and, and there was all these ways in which, you know, the fact that I lived, you know, um, with a disability, um, made me realize that the world didn't really take me into account. And so filmmaking was, at the beginning, a way to just document my movement through the world. And it was not it was a little bit irreverent, and it was crazy, because I would go on these crazy trips. One of my first projects was to go to Cuba to live like, uh, like, uh, like a disabled Cuban, like supersize me, but it was in Cuba, so it was minimized me because I didn't have any food and I lost a lot of weight. Um, and I tried to live like a disabled Cuban in order to just push my boundaries and get 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 to know who I really was, get to know what I was made of. So I would develop, you know, projects where we went to Yemen um, and to go to visit a refugee camp in Yemen after giving a really high level uh, conference on human rights uh, for kids and adults with disabilities. We ended up going on a, like a two-week trip throughout Yemen and visiting refugees from Somalia and from Ethiopia and literally lived in a rock desert. And we went to visit some families that had kids with disabilities and they had created their little community there. And kids would play around with, you know, old tires, you know, with a stick pushing it around and Kids would be having all this fun, but you would bring on, you know, your Western lens and you would see how deprived, how little material goods there were. Uh, and so I guess what I'm saying is that filmmaking was a way for me to experience the world more deeply and share those experiences with others. And I think what, what filmmaking does is it helps us create a, get a deeper sense of of the choices that we make, but also understand the fabric that binds us all together. That's great. Yeah. And I mean, I love that, you know, your story, like, like many stories, like many great stories are an every man story, right? You know, whether it's Rocky, it kind of coming up against, uh, I don't know. uh, (laughs) The first thought was Mr. T. Um, But, but yeah, like you you always, we all encounter opposition of some sort. Um, And, but you know, your ability to find the beauty in that, right. And, And find the thread um, is rare. So I'm curious also as to just the level of resiliency you've developed with your 
own personal circumstance. Um, where did that come from? Because I know a lot of people, like some people get defeated by life, you know, uh, for, for a number of different reasons. But what was it about you or, you know, your parents or your upbringing or whatever it was that kind of made you this resilient individual and learn to turn, you know, um, uh, make whatever, lemonade, what's it, lemon, lemonade? You like lemonade, right? Um, um, <laughs> yeah, well, well, what was it? Uh, look, I think I am not a super bad and I don't want to be anybody's inspiration porn. Castella Young says inspiration porn is sort of a consumption of inspiration. And I'm not really trying to put that out there. I'm just trying to say that, that there are ways in which we all need help. And there are ways in which we all stand out. And there are ways in which we're all vulnerable and afraid and unsure. And I think that what happens is if we're able to really embrace those things that we're afraid of, or at least look at them. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't hide the fact that I'm moving around the world strapped to a, you know, 300 pound electric tank. You know what I mean? Like I can't avoid, I can't pass as being non-disabled. So, uh, I think you should put, I think you should take it and put like a bunch of shrubbery around it. And then people just think that guy's like sitting on the bush and the bush is moving. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so, you know, when, when I was a kid, I, I, I literally wanted to convert my wheelchair into like an F-16 fighter jet or, or a tank, you know, when I was for Halloween. I wanted to dress up the chair. But then I realized that it'd be much funner just to like, in college, I would dress up like some flamboyant, extravagant, kind of like uh, uh, like a mafioso, a gangster, in a wheelchair or some kind of a crazy cloud, you know, where I sort of <laughs> decorated the wheelchair. And so I wasn't hiding from the wheelchair. Uh, I was kind of using that and embracing it with who I was. And I think it's interesting because I used to have dreams as a kid of flying. And it's interesting that I would fly because my disability is such that my muscles are quite weak, meaning that the world is very heavy. So I experience the world with like maybe 10 G's or something or, or, or 8 G's. And so I can't lift myself up because my muscles aren't that strong. So to, to have a dream where I'm flying as a kid is very liberating. But later on, this dream ended up incorporating my wheelchair. And so I ended up starting to fly with the wheelchair. So it wasn't that the wheelchair was restraining me. It wasn't that I was confined to the wheelchair. It was either that I was liberated by the wheelchair or that I would embark on this adventure and this dream with this wheelchair. And so I think what you're saying is, where do we draw resilience? We drive through our family, through our friends, and through those little victories, those little tiny things where we sort of confront the issue and then move forward. So the kid that used to tease me at school and would jump on the back of my chair. My brother one day, you know, said to me, hey, Victor, who's this kid that's, that's bothering you? I said, look, it's that guy over there. It's Jimmy. And he goes over and he grabs this guy and he says, don't mess with my buddy, my brother. I want to kick your, you know, kick your butt. And it was the wrong kid. He went out to <laughs> and, and, and then he got into trouble, you know, but later, he, you know, so, you know what, Victor? I'm not going to be there for you to defend you. You're going to have to figure out a way that you can defend yourself or stand up for yourself. 
And I said, and I had to figure that out. And so next time the kid jumped on the back of my wheelchair, kind of overpowering me, took took control of the electric the joystick on the chair and to drive around. I said, Oh, you want a ride? Let me give you a ride. And I pushed his hand off the joystick and I slammed the chair straight up against the walkers. And he fell off the chair. And then I said to him, Cause you know, have some respect for yourself and pick on someone your own size. And all the kids that previously were laughing at this were now ridiculing him because I stood up for myself and sort of just gave it up, said that's not cool, that's not okay. And then what's interesting is that that was, I must have been like 15 or something. After that time, I would confront myself and the circumstances that I was in with a little bit more dignity. Before that time, I would eat lunch in the library because I was too afraid to mix with all the other students. So I think these are the small things that incrementally build a sense of self, a sense of being comfortable in your own skin, and then being able to move forward. You know, there's a great story of one of the most formidable disability rights activists, Edward Roberts. You know, everybody knows Harvey Milk, everybody knows MLK, very few people know Ed Roberts as a really important disability rights advocate. And he, he, he had polio and, you know, oh, stopped walking also uh, at a relatively young age and used a wheelchair. He said, you know what? I felt so ashamed when people were looking at me and staring. And I felt this sort of everyone's gaze on me as though it was a burden or some kind of a stigma. Until I realized that only freaking movie stars get as much attention as I do. So let me use these stairs <laughs> by advantage and actually use this attention to do something good in the world. Use the fact that people want to look at you to say something intelligent or, or to or to move, you know, social consciousness. And that's what he ended up doing. So you embrace the you embrace your vulnerabilities to unlock your superpowers. And, and, you know, I love, you know, parallelisms, right? And I, I think about, you know, just a, the journey of a business or the journey of an idea, right? And and there takes, there's a little bit of resilience, or a lot of, I'll say, um, a resiliency and adjustment, resiliency and adjustment until you have something that's, you know, pretty, you know, pretty amazing, um, or at least halfway decent that you feel proud of. And there, a lot of people abandon ship early on a concept or you don't go fight for it, you know, long enough. Maybe that last fight would have been the one that got you to, to where you wanted to go. Um, what have you like, what maybe as a, from a business perspective, um, what's been, you know, one of the biggest thing lessons you've had to learn just as a, as a, as a business person. Sure. Look, I started innovating entrepreneurial projects. Very, very young. I had like a print kids, where we would help people in the neighborhood print things on our dot matrix printer. You know, and we had all kinds of projects later in college. Uh, I was involved in a, developing a 3D search engine that could search in kind of a virtual space. And we developed, uh, you know, we developed the National Science Foundation Innovation Grant that allowed us to develop that before Google. And, uh, and then all kinds of other 
projects with biodiesel and things that, that were very innovative. But I think each one was really about, you know, seeing that there was a really interesting way that you could bring people together to to start to scratch at uh, at a problem, to start to scratch at, at, you know, using your time in a way that allows you to grow and to learn and to connect with people. And so I think that whether it's the filmmaking work that I did or the the work that I do with governments now on on policy or the work that I do with companies on innovation, uh, I think it's really all about living the kind of life that you value, living the kind of life that inspires you, living living the kind of life that gives you kind of a reason to 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 keep to keep pushing and, and to have fun. And you do that, you know, uh, Chris and I, I I'm really uh I'm really one of your, your biggest boy fans because I was looking at some of your recent interviews, you know, how to move words and influence people, you know, weapons of mass destruction, you know, and all of these ideas of the mad scientist. You know, that's the kind of life that I want to live. I want to live with creative people and do creative things. Um, but I realized that uh, I can't do this alone. And I realized actually early that I need a lot of help. I need help, you know, lifting my elbow to scratch my nose. I can't scratch my nose. But I can develop uh, relationships and connections and innovative ideas that can nudge the world to a more equitable and just place. And I've done that with the work with the United Nations. And we're doing that next week in Ecuador, where we're launching um, a global uh, uh, declaration on inclusive and sustainable cities. It's called Habitat 3. And this is something that happens every 20 years. So when we launch this global agreement, like the one that happened in Paris on climate change, this agreement um, that now has 15 references that ensure people with disabilities are equal stakeholders, uh, it has a whole bunch of other stuff, like protecting the environment, engaging women, all kinds of folks are going to benefit from this document. But this document is going to guide the work of cities till the year 2036. Wow. So to be able to say, okay, here the, here's the type of innovation, here's the type of commitments, here are the type of principles that we all have to be working toward um, is really, really um, exciting and important. And I want to invite your audience and your viewers to, you know, to email me, victor at worldenabled.org, um, because I really want to continue to create these connections and have a good time building, you know, a better world and, and hatching a better world. That's that's amazing. Um, uh, it's, I mean, obviously your work is amazing. Um, and I'm curious as to, outside of the obvious, um, wh- why did you choose that? I mean, you seem like you could have done anything, <laughs> right? Uh, you like you could have uh, been a, a mathematician, a marketer, like whatever you you wanted. Like, was there anything else, uh, like another career path you entertained, um, and or why did you you kind of choose this as your life's work? Yeah, well, let me let me start off at the beginning. You know, when you realize who you are, 
And when you get a glimpse of who you are, and when you realize that there's value in embracing some of your vulnerabilities or those things that you're afraid of, when you realize that you can unlock new new capacities and you figure out that the world needs that, the world needs you to be fully who you are, you start to shine and you start to attract people. You tr- you start to be authentically um, engaging and interesting because you're not copying an existing mold or a model. You're not replicating kind of, uh, you're not a carbon copy of some other simulation. Um, you're something fresh. And so what I'm saying is I did that as, as I developed that work, I engaged with the arts and the culture and the filmmaking as a way to understand who I was and my place in the world. I developed that through grad school, looking at urban planning and public policy and international development because I knew the world was increasingly becoming smaller and that I had a, I had a role to play in sort of bridging the experiences from the U.S. and the disability rights laws of the U.S. and helping other countries around the world do the same thing. And then with companies really looking at how this whole new demographic, a huge demographic, can help them capture a larger market share. So, you know, the the career path really is about convergence. So, so I, would encourage, I would encourage people to 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 keep keep that little voice alive that's sort of nudging you to do something. Because once that once you invest in that and develop it, and you put in your ten thousand hours in each of your three career paths. It doesn't feel like work. It just feels like you're following your your what you're meant to do. You're following your passion, and then when you converge, that that's when it's really special. That's yeah. That, that I think that's spot on. Um, uh, you know, so when when Victor Pinedo, you know, goes to visit a, a Microsoft or any company for that that matter, like what what is that conversation like? And this is obviously your chance to <laughs> to to toot your horn on the on the Microsoft thing, but yeah, like I'm I'm just curious as to like what those conversations are like, and and where does your expertise play into to what they're developing? Well, well, look, uh, I wear many hats. I President Obama just recently appointed me to the U.S. Access Board, which is a federal board that's developing, you know, regulations and policies that really shape the way, you know, uh, access should be uh, implemented, whether it's digital or physical or anything like that. And so if I'm wearing a hat from the U.S. Access Board, we're talking about, you know, what is the the company doing to ensure that its products and services comply with laws? You know, if I'm wearing my nonprofit hat, or, you know, whether I'm thinking about whether there's any kind of trainings or any kind of educational programs that we can work together on with their staff to elevate awareness. If I'm working, if I'm putting on my consultant or researcher hat, which is what we're doing with this Microsoft Defining Accessible Smart Cities project, it's really about trying to understand what are the needs in these various Location. So we're going to Ecuador right after this global summit. We're going to meet with the government of the local, this local city government, with your folks in Quito to look at how does Quito, you know, tackle technology in municipal governance and how does that technology ensure that it's available and accessible and is developed by and with people with disabilities. We're going to be doing the same thing in Barcelona. 
with the government, the Catalonian government. We're going to be doing that in London. We're going to be doing that in Singapore to really look at the convergence between all of these technologies as they're being deployed in global smart cities, whether it's, you know, GPS for knowing the how to get on and off your public transportation system, or whether it's, you know, tracking emergency responses so that people with disabilities can be, you know, can have themselves be uh, located if there's a natural disaster, you can sort of identify where you are. There's a lot of ways that network technologies and innovations are really opening up opportunities. We just want to make sure that people with disabilities can benefit equally. So for the kinds of the work we do with companies, if you're interested in capturing you know, a billion people and you want to make sure that your products and services are, are equitable and, and engage folks on an equal basis, you know, we can help. We can develop research. We can develop focus groups. We can develop insights that can help you capture a bigger market. And Microsoft sees this as an advantage, so they're sponsoring our work. That's fantastic. Uh, congratulations, uh, first of all. I mean, it's, like you, you're one of those people, like, every time I talk to you, it's like you've uh, multiplied your successes. So uh, kudos on that. Um so the the show, as you know, because um, you cited a bunch of show titles, thank you, man, for for paying attention, um, is called Innovation Crush. Uh, I'm curious as to what's out there you're crushing on now, right? It might be some entertainment, it might be uh, some cuisine, it might be travel, it might be technology. I don't know, but uh, sure. I won't answer the question for you. But what is your current Innovation Crush? Yeah, our Innovation Crush is really exciting. We just got off the phone this morning with the Ford Foundation, and we had a conversation with the Rockefeller Foundation. We're really just trying to have a conversation around innovation for inclusive cities. So my crush really is uh, really building out our Inclusive Cities Lab. Inclusive Cities Lab is really going to be a platform for innovative thinking between policy, business, advocacy, and research, and really thinking about how can build cities that are more equitable, more inclusive. And this really is perfect because after we launch this global agreement next week in Ecuador, then we're going to have to implement it. We're going to have to get all kinds of partnerships on the ground in these cities to make sure that, you know, these cities are resilient. The cities are inclusive. The cities are equitable. And so the Inclusive Cities Lab really bridges our network with University of California at Berkeley with the Institute of Disability Public Policy at American University, my colleagues at Harvard and other places, with the kind of companies and the kind of municipal leaders that want to create a more inclusive world. So I'm crushing on that right now. Uh, Really excited to invite you all to join me. (laughs) I want to come. No, just one one point of curiosity, like when do people's ears perk up, right? And and I feel like I I come across in my day-to-day, like a lot of socially oriented projects, entrepreneurs, and so on and so forth. And not that I don't want to put this in that category, but I think there's either a tonality that you enter the room with in that conversation or 
um, or at least a, a value proposition. And you, you, like you mentioned, you know, the, the equity that's at stake if you embrace this, you know, these, these billion people. Um, wh- when do you find that people go like, ah, okay, like now I'm on board and I'm going to really try, you know, my best to, to, to work w- with your vision? That's very easy. You just have to remind people that we are all only temporarily able-bodied. If we live long enough, we're all going to develop different disabilities. And so the fact that disability can happen to anybody at any time is something that makes you kind of whoa, wake up. You know, you, you could cross the street. You could just, you know, develop something that you had no idea that you had. And you're just going to have to move around the world and have a way to adjust to a whole new set of factors. But that's not good or bad. That's the whole goal here. Disability is not a negative experience. Just like being black or being a woman isn't a negative experience. It just is another way we live our lives. And so if society is so narrow in its definition of what is a valued way of being, then we have to realize that we're all going to be, in some ways, touched by this, whether ourselves or a family member. So if we want to create more value, it's in our enlightened self-interest to eliminate barriers that limit our individual and collective potential. Well said. Uh, you've, you've had some practice at this. <laughs> um, all right. Last but not least, um, complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is... Embracing those things that makes you different and using them to create a better world. Well stated. When's the book coming out? When's the, when, when you should, you should, <laughs> are you working on a book? What's, what's your deal there? In that, in yeah. that so I've got two books. What the first book is an academic study of Dubai. I did my doctoral work on Dubai. I've been very involved in developing the Dubai disability strategy. Um, and so this is a kind of an academic book looking at the transformation, urban transformation in Dubai. And I have a manuscript ready to send out to the publishers in the next next few weeks. So it's called Inclusive Cities. Um, and then the other book is more of a, of a book of my thoughts and, you know, my travels and my experiences. And that's going to come out probably the next year or two. I'll be on the lookout. I, I was hoping you'd say something about a romance novel, but uh, apparently, apparently we won't get that. Um, no, but I want to thank you for joining us. How can people find you? Uh, I know you gave your email address earlier, but uh, where where do you want them to visit you on, on the interwebs there? Sure. So again, I'm really easy to contact on worldenabled.org. World, W-O-R-L-D, enabled, E-N-A-B-L-E-D, dot o-r-g on twitter at world enabled uh, or at victor Pereira and uh, on facebook as well so we're at instagram at world enabled as well all right well there you have it folks um thank you guys for listening uh, this has been another installment of innovation crush and we will talk to you next time let's crush this <laughs> thanks thanks